0: Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uytaki, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth, we are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young Businessmen, welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Yuitaki. I'm really excited to bring this podcast to you today. This is... Uh, This is my opportunity to share with you uh, somebody that I actually heard in in an event a couple months ago that was put on by uh, Convene and uh, Workplace Ministries, I believe. And uh, when I was at this event, this this event was just like an informational event that kind of talked about... Uh, faith in business, but it also talked about just uh, or created an environment to connect uh, entrepreneurs and business people uh, with other people in the community. And so one of the guys that I heard from there named Steve Trice was with a company out of Oklahoma City called JASCO. And I'm going to read a little bit of an intro on uh, Steve and his company here, and then I'll go ahead and introduce you to him. Steve started the privately held company JASCO in 1975 as an exclusive GE licensee. JASCO develops, markets, and distributes GE-branded consumer electronic accessories, computer accessories, home electronic products, and home security surveillance products. These products are sold in more than 87,000 stores internationally by mass merchants, electronic superstores, home improvement stores, food and drug retailers military installations and direct marketers. And the beautiful thing about this is Jasco is actually located in Oklahoma City. So I know that we're the young businessmen of Tulsa, but I believe that what we do and the message that we're trying to share extends beyond our borders and so I'm happy to bring Uh, people onto the podcast that extend beyond Tulsa, because really, when you think about it, we're one body, we're one community. And so there's so much that we can learn as individuals from uh, the different people that we have here. So first and foremost, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I know I gave a brief introduction, but say hello to the audience. And if you don't mind, give a little bit of a history, kind of fill in some of those blanks of who you are uh, to the listeners.
1: Evan, thank you very much. And uh, it's a joy to be with you all today. I, uh, I just real quickly, briefly, I grew up in a very broken home. I had uh, little, if any, faith growing up, and that resulted uh, in my life. In a uh, uh, when I got to be an adult, I had a uh, a, a real um, fear of loss, a fear of of, uh, of not having enough, a fear of broken relationships which created great anxiety in me Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, later depression and uh, I was actually uh, 43 years old before I came completely to the end of myself Jasco Products that you mentioned Mm -hmm. at the time was uh, over 20 years old so uh, virtually half of my career and uh, uh, came into a relationship with Jesus Christ at 43 and changed my whole world. And uh, uh, I have been discipled uh, virtually weekly ever since uh, by two different men over time. And uh, when I say discipled, I'm talking about one-on-one discipleship mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and taught uh, how to hear, read, study, memorize, meditate, and apply the Word of God to my life. Uh, that's first and foremost. Jasco Products is now 42 years old. Uh, founded the company, as you said, in 1975. And uh, you mentioned the GE relationship uh, that didn't come until the late 1990s uh, when we became a licensee of the General Electric Company. Uh, we are also licensees for Energizer, uh, Phillips. Um, uh and and the disney brands mm. uh and 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 several others and we put those we put those names on our products that we sell to mass merchandisers throughout the country there's a there, there's a short <laughs> short picture what did i miss
0: no i th- i think i think that was great and and i love how you kind of uh, prefaced a lot of it about some of that anxiety that you face you know in this podcast some of the things that we try to do is we try to kind of show the other side of entrepreneurship, the other side of success, and just some of the things that I think uh, people don't talk about when you're in roles of leadership. We had a couple of podcasts ago where we talked about just loneliness and how loneliness is an epidemic. And and when you are um, by yourself and and as a leader, traditionally, people say it's lonely at the top. And so I think a lot of times people, when they get to a certain level of success or they perceive success, they perceive somebody who has it all together. They perceive somebody who has no weaknesses or doesn't deal with anxiety. They look at somebody uh, who's in, in in a leadership role like you're in and say, I don't understand how Steve could have anxiety or fear because he's accomplished so much. And so for, for me, I really love the immediate transparency that you have talking about something like that because I think that a lot of leaders, when they when they find themselves in certain roles, anxiety and fear are some of the first things that that we run into, and. Um talking to Brian Smith, who's a guy that we've had on the podcast multiple times, uh, he talks about fear. So he'll say fear is not an option, but he says, actually, fear is the first regular, uh, readily available option. And it's something that we deal with every single day. So um, you talked a little bit about that, but then you also talked about the role of uh, Christ and, and your faith in, in your business and in your life. And I think the two things go hand in hand if I'm, if I'm reading between the lines here.
1: Well, and, and, and let, me, let me dress that up a little bit or explain that a little further. I would come to work, and I had a successful business. I had a wife, uh, a beautiful wife and two children, two wonderful little boys. And, and I'm going back 25, 30 years ago. And I would come to work, and uh, I was overwhelmed with what I had to do. Uh, if one of our customers would be in any way upset with us, I would fear loss of the customer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If I started concentrating on loss of one of those late, large, major mass merchandisers, I would start thinking about bankruptcy, and, I would, and it would just all ball up on me, and I was scared, and I was fearful, but like most of us, I could walk in the door and people would say, how are you today, Steve? And I would say, fantastic. <laughs> and I'd put a big smile on my face, and I'd just say, everything is terrific. While I had this, this fuzzy-headed feeling, that was the depression. That's when I'd get in. I was depressed about four out of seven days a week. And I'd have this fuzzy-headed feeling. Even though the business was doing fine,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I would get scared that it wasn't going to do fine. And that we were going to go bankrupt or uh, that I was going to lose my relationship with my wife or that I was going to, you know, if I lost my relationship with my wife, I was going to lose my relationship with my kids. I could, uh, Evan, I could worry about everything. Mm-hmm. I, was a, I, I was a professional worrier uh, and, and life was not fun. And I had to come to the point of actually uh, getting cancer. And uh, I had bladder cancer when I was 39 years old. I was diagnosed with bladder cancer. Mm-hmm. I had it surgically removed, and the doctor gave me a little pamphlet when I went on the follow-up appointment. And it said that I, have five, uh, that I had a 50% chance of being alive five years from then. Mm-hmm. And with what I just told you in your audience, <laughs> uh, what do you think I really thought? Was the glass half full or half empty?
0: I would say it half had a, empty on that, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, no, it really had a great big black hole in the bottom of it. I knew that I knew that I knew that I was going to die. And I went on a quest to find out what my life had been, why I had been here. And I even remember driving back from the doctor's office saying one afternoon, if there is a God out there, I'm mad and this is not fair. And and I learned through the process of getting to know him that he has very broad shoulders, and uh, that that he had me exactly where he wanted me. And um, I came to know him, and over time, uh, and it and it's a slow process. But over time, as I met with another man, and as another man would ask me, "Tell me about your thought life this last week.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What's been go- What's been going on in your head?" And I said, "Well." you know, I was anxious. And he says, well, you know, because I've told you before, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is a commandment. Do not be anxious Uh about anything, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I learned to actually be thankful for all of those negative circumstances that were causing me to have those feelings, okay? Uh And I learned to thank God for them and and know that, that he was using those negative circumstances to draw me closer to him and build my faith in him. Mm-hmm. And when I started to get that through my thick skull, the depression started to go away, in fact, to the point that I can't even spell the word today. You know? <laughs> and am I tempted to be anxious periodically? Absolutely. But I know exactly what to do with it. I take it to the Lord and I tell him what I'm starting to get anxious about. I ask His forgiveness, and I thank Him for the circumstances, and then here comes the peace, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's a completely different world and a joy.
0: I love that you shared that. And one of the things I was kind of thinking about when you were talking about that is, whenever you're faced with that anxiety and that worry and you're running through those different challenges, your imagination takes them and it magnifies them. And we've talked before about how your your imagination as a child is a very powerful thing, right? You can imagine dream worlds and you can imagine yourself uh, doing all these great things. But worry is your imagination in reverse. And it's actually taking all of the negative things and blowing them out of proportion and making them a lot bigger than what you think they are to the point of causing physical sickness, which uh, it sounds like that was a part of, of that. But one of the things that I was thinking about is when you're in that situation of worry, you make decisions based on your worry, right? So you probably aren't making the right decisions because you're so anxious and concerned about everything that it actually holds you back and it holds your company back from being able to be as successful as it possibly could be because you're you're looking at fear, false evidence appearing real. You're looking at these indicators that you believe to be true because of the worry, and you're making a decision based on that. So if you don't mind, talk a little bit about how that anxiety actually managed or influenced your decision-making.
1: Making decisions, it's kind of a twofold. One, you're not making clear probably right decisions, and I mean, for sure, if you're not, if, if, if I'm not seeking the Lord in my decisions, then I'm not making right decisions. On the other hand, uh, when you're in that state, uh, one of the biggest problems is making any decision at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when, when I had that fuzzy-headed depression, um, I, I couldn't make clear decisions. I couldn't function well. And uh, so uh, the easiest decision was no decision at all. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense.
0: No, absolutely. Absolutely. The idea that we are in control of our lives, I think, is something that we get hung up on. And so ultimately, we start to think that in some capacity, because we're responsible for all the different things that our business does or our family does or whatever else, I think we, we take a sense of ownership of it, which is great. But at the same time... I think it's good to remember that when we're looking at the bigger picture, we're more stewards than we are owners. And, and I'm curious to whether or not that came up in the conversations when you were talking about be anxious for nothing and, and those kinds of things. Did did a role of stewardship come into play? And is that kind of how things have moved forward from there? Or did you take a different approach?
1: No. I, 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 over time, and again, you know, thinking about he was 43 years old. hmm when he came to Christ, I had a lot of things to unlearn. Uh, if if I had come to Christ when I was eighteen, uh, would have been a different story. But I came to Christ at forty three, so I I had a lot to unlearn. But as I have learned, discipling other men, watching a man get God's word inside of him. And and learn to really hear, read, study, memorize, meditate, and apply on God's apply God's word to your life. You start to think differently, and when you start to think like He wants us to think, we are stewards.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We're not we're not in control. Uh, there is a God, and I'm not Him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and, uh, and it and it 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 helps me. I mean, every morning. Uh, when I'm on my knees before him in the morning, I say, Lord, all that I am is yours. All that I have is yours. Show me this day, what you would have me do with the time, the spiritual gifts, the talent and the treasure that you have given me to steward for you.
0: Mm-hmm. I think one of the, th- and and I, and I, I appreciate you kind of talking that it was a process for you because. If I think back to myself and 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 the audience that's listening in, you know, the audience is me ten years ago. So if I'm if I'm speaking to myself then, I felt like I had all the answers and I felt like I could do anything. And it wasn't a, a sense of cockiness per se, but more more confidence in myself. But I think it's also important to understand that over time, and if you can figure this out sooner rather than later, that realizing that that stewardship and getting the right mentality with everything that you do makes a huge difference in your stress level, in your uh, in the decisions that you make, uh, in the relationships that you have. All these different things kind of come together and it does tie a lot to stewardship. And I want to clearly delineate the difference between stewardship and uh, not caring. Because if you don't care, and you just say, whatever will be, will be, because that's what God wanted to be. That's not the case. It's it's more along the lines of God has put you in this role uh, in leadership, in your family, in your business, whatever it may be, uh, because he trusts you, and he's invested in you, and he wants you to be successful. But you still have to do your due diligence and make the right decisions, give them to God, uh, and and involve him in the process. And ultimately, that's the more stewardship, I believe, and, and Steve, I'd love to get your thoughts on on how to apply that stewardship uh, to your life and to your business.
1: Let me tell you the extent to which we take stewardship too, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, at, and and this may sound like a radical idea uh, to most of our audience today, uh, but uh, if if I'm a steward of JASCO products, and a lot of us, a lot of of us as Christians, we use that those words. Right. But if I'm a steward of Jasco products, and God actually owns Jasco products, who owns the profits of Jasco products? I don't.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I'm just stewarding the process, the profits for God.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, in in our case, I get a market salary for what I do. I get a market bonus for what I do. Uh, our sons that, that work here, in fact, they are co-CEOs of Jasco Products, uh, they get a market salary and a bonus for what they do. Mm-hmm. All available profits go to the work of the Lord. We don't, we don't take the profit. If he's the owner, if, if, if you have a public company, the stockholders are the owners, so they get the profits from the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our situation, God is the stockholder, And so he gets the profits from the company and, uh, and we give it away. Uh, we give it away. We pay taxes on the balance and we have to have a, we have to have a portion to grow the company on, but all available profits are given away. Wow.
0: Uh, that does, that feels pretty radical, especially, um, I, I completely understand where you're coming from on that, but I would say, yeah, to the bulk of the audience listening, especially to the 25 year old version of myself, um, I could see where that would definitely be something that would completely be opposite of what I would think at that point.
1: If we look at 2 Corinthians 9, Uh uh, uh, 6 through 11, it says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, Mm -hmm. and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and will increase the harvest of your righteousness." And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgivings to God. Four times, Evan, in those six verses, God says, "The more you give, the more you will get to give." Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you're and and if you're and if you're a steward, I mean, I've watched this company over time. We've tried out giving. I've watched this company over time. Uh, the more we give the more we get to give, the more we get to give, the more we get to give. It's his. And when you do it that way, I mean, we, we run a fairly large, uh, uh, uh let's call it a medium sized company
2: okay.
1: and a market salary and a bonus for what I do, you know, based on, based on market numbers, uh-huh. what, what, what do I need more than that? I mean, <laughs> I mean, do, do do I need? I mean, what what do I need? do? I need a jet? Do I need a home in 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 France? I mean, and I'll share with you one other thing. It, it was easier for me probably because we were in debt for 36 years.
2: Well, okay, yeah, 36,
1: <laughs> 36, of our 42 years. So most of it was going to the bank. Uh-huh. So why not let most of it go to the Lord's work now that the banks were all paid off? You know.
0: Well, that's actually one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on this podcast because and, and it kind of ties in a little bit <clears throat> to some of the things that you do to invest in your employees as well. And so kind of knowing that uh, bit of information puts this second bit of information a lot more in perspective for me. So if you don't mind, talk a little bit about the way that you invest in your employees. I, I actually was reading this article from um, Mid America. Uh, university it's a christian university that's within five miles of you and um, they put an article out and it was highlighting the fact that you're actually offering free tuition to all of your employees you, so you have 278 employees uh, all of your employees have access to continuing education um, at these schools in terms of there's degrees and stuff that you've selected for them but that in itself sounded radical to me. That was something where it's like, wow, a company is going to go and invest in their business. And the, really, the whole reason I wanted to talk to you was talk to you about business ethics and, and getting into that point. Because when we talked the first time, you were talking about how before business was done on a handshake. And now there's all these contracts and all these other things that, that we do. And really, at the point, to the point of we get... Uh, we're, we've gone so the opposite direction that we look at the cost to break the contract as a viable option as opposed to keeping our word. And so all of those different things, I think, are um, they're radically different than than what the industry norm is. And I know the Bible says to be in this world, but not of this world. And when we're not of this world, we do things like uh, influence culture and have ethics when other people don't and invest in our employees and those kinds of things. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about all of the different programs that you have, and I want to highlight a couple. But it sounds to me like the decision to do this when I was first hearing about it was a radical one, but now it actually seems like a very logical decision.
1: Well, and and I need to, I need to share with your audience first that in my I, – I, I feel like because I didn't come to Christ until I was 43, I've had half of my life on each side of the cross.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I was a business owner on the other side of the cross, and people would ask me, what is your most important asset in business? And I answered the question like we all say, mm-hmm. it's people. Right. And I knew in the back of my mind that I was leveraging people to make money for me and my family. But if you'd ask me what my most important asset, it was people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: After I came to Christ, and again, it was a slow process, but after I came to Christ, I came to say, yes, people are our most important asset. And I had to challenge myself and say, if they are, do I care about their eternal salvation? Do I care about their relationship with their spouse? Do I care about their relationship with their children? Do I care, do I care that they come to work every morning up to their ears in credit card debt? You know, to where they can't even focus on their job? Do I really, really, really care about people? And so we started asking ourselves those questions. And one step at a time, we put together programs that would help our people uh, deal with all of the major areas of their life. First, their relationship with God. So we've uh, uh, got a full-time company chaplain,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and so we've got a chaplain that that uh, uh, is available to our folks 24/7, and he'll get them anything from a plumber to a priest. He does uh, funerals, he does weddings. He'll refer them to a church. He'll lead them to Christ if that's if, if that's an appropriate. Uh, If they want to know more about a relationship with Christ, he leads Bible studies on our campuses. And so uh, we started with a chaplain, and then there's Mid-America Christian University Mm -hmm. and other Christian universities, and you said a minute ago one thing that's that's not there. We don't select what courses they take or uh, directions that they go. If they will go to a Christian university uh, it's up to them the courses that they take, and we will pay uh, their, their full tuition for an undergraduate or a graduate degree or both. Wow. Uh, we want to we want to help our folks, and then we uh, we partner with various ministries. Uh, Family Life, uh, a ministry out of uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, puts on weekends to remember. And helps uh, uh, husbands and wives grow in their relationship with each other. Uh, we pay, uh, we will pay their tuition. We give them Friday off to go to the weekend to remember. Uh, we pay for their date night and we pay for their hotel over the weekend. Wow. Um, and and we have uh, we have marriage uh, Bible studies that go on on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we teach raising kids God's way, a Bible study that we teach on campus um let's see what else oh uh, we use dave ramsey's financial peace at uh, work financial peace university and uh it has been the largest attended program uh that we've ever had people have got issues with money and they want to know how to handle their money Mm -hmm. and then and then we encourage them on how to do it biblically and then we encourage them on uh, giving themselves away so if they, will, uh, uh, if they will donate their time uh, to any charity, to the charities of their choice, we will match their time with $10 per hour per person. And if they'll give their money away, uh, I believe it's up to $5,000, we'll, uh, we'll match their giving. Wow. And, and to encourage generous giving. And so uh, uh, those are kind of the, uh, the basics of the programs that we have. And uh, it's all about how to, how to pay attention to all of the needs that that individual employee has. And it's all optional. They get to do it if they want to do it. I get asked sometimes, well, does that create, can that create legal problems for you? Not if it's all optional.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's what we do.
0: Well, that's, I guess, radical doesn't seem like the right word for it. But if you look at the amount that you invest, and I love how you, you made the statement, if I truly believe that people are my greatest asset, why would I not invest in in them? And that's, I think, something that, uh, it, like you said, its it's something that everybody says because we believe it to be true in some capacity. But I think when the rubber meets the road, And you turn around and look and say, okay, what am I truly doing to invest in my people? If the answer is nothing, then people are not your most important asset.
1: Right. And let me give you just one quick story. I was walking through the office a few years ago, and a young man tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, could you come into my office and visit with me for a minute? And I said, sure, Anthony, I'd love to. And I went in, and he said, "I want to tell you something that's happened here at Jasco that you don't know about." And I thought, uh "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> here it comes!" You know, my 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 anxiety antennas went up. Absolutely. And I said, "What?" Yeah, I said, well, "What's going on, Anthony?" And he said, uh, "Well, you know, you shared the gospel in a company-wide meeting, and then he said." I asked to sit down with the company chaplain one day and he said, I prayed to receive Christ right here in my office, but that's not what I got you in here to tell you. Then you sponsor this family life marriage conference thing. And my wife and my wife and I went away for a weekend to remember. And she prayed to receive Christ at the family life marriage conference. But that's not what I got you in here to tell you. He said last night, he said, I went up to my eight-year-old daughter's uh, room, and I I usually read her a story and tell her good night, and she'd already fallen asleep, and there was the Bible on her chest. That's what I got you in here to tell you. That's how important Jasco Products has been in mine and my family's life.
0: Wow. You know, I think a lot of times we look at our bios, right? The when, when I introduce you, I talk about the GE relationships and how many, uh, you know, how many tens of thousands of uh, stores use your products and the reach that you you have. And it's, it's partly to, to quantify your success or to try to uh, engage the audience to listen to uh, the things that you have to say. But I think what we really need to look at is is our businesses and our lives and everything we do are not necessarily a platform for us to say uh, how successful we are or all the things that we've accomplished. But I think when it really comes down to it, um, it is about people. And if you can take the resources that you have and, and the platforms that you have, which in your case is JASCO, and you can use it to impact lives and you can use it to help other people, I think that that's the truest form of what God meant with with the stewardship for us. Yes, to be successful and to invest in other or to to help other people and to invest in, and to give back. You do need to be successful to do that. That's why God creates that abundance for you. But at the same time, when it ultimately comes down to everything, and I think you hit the nail on the head with that story. Um, it's it's about people, and 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 I think that again. I don't want, I'm not trying to pick on my audience here, but I'm I'm trying to really highlight some of the areas in my life that I dealt with when I was in in my early 20s. It wasn't about people for me in in my early 20s. And I would venture to say Steve that because of the story that you told me that probably in your 20s it wasn't about people then, uh it was probably more about you and the success and everything else that you were trying to achieve and because that's maybe what you uh, and what I knew it to be. Uh we thought it was something else, but I would venture to say that you can take the entire year of your 20s, any, any success that you had then, and compare it to that story right there. And I'm pretty sure I know which way you're going to lean.
1: I had a uh, mentor tell me in my 20s, uh, my dad had a uh, successful company, and it had always been my desire to someday run my dad's company. And that's not this one, but someday run my dad's company. And his general manager told me one time in my twenties, I was working for my dad and his general manager told me, he said, Steve, I know that your desire is to run this company someday, but he said, I got to tell you, you never will because you don't have a heart for people. (laughs) Wow. Yeah.
0: That's a little bit of truth right there.
1: Well, but, 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 but you you alluded to it in your twenties. I mean, I didn't know Jesus. Uh, I didn't know anything about the word stewardship. All I knew about was uh, mine and me, and you know what I could get out of people. You know, now on. But on the other hand, I think as Christians, we have we we have a goal. We do have a goal for ourselves. Certainly, what we're doing is for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. But for ourselves, I think I think. Uh, uh, I think Matthew, in Matthew twenty five twenty one gives us the words that we'd like to hear someday. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Those are the best words we could hear at the end
0: of the day. Absolutely. Well, I love that you've taken that to heart. And I love that I can highlight you as, as an example of somebody striving for that. And, and I, 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 w- I wanted to take a a second to talk a little bit about the book that you have, because you shared this book with me. It's called A Friend Under Fire, and I'll leave a link for it uh, in the podcast notes. But one of the statements that you make in there is you you talk about the importance of helping others, and through through the book, you were talking a little bit about mentorship and how somebody invested in you, and you've kind of alluded to it here. But I think that if we kind of go back to that 25-year-old version of myself or 25-year-old version of yourself, I think the statement that we would say a lot would be, "Hey, it's not my problem. Um, that's that's theirs. They don't need my help. I, I don't have anything to say to them, or I, I'm not I'm not responsible for them. I'm not my brother's keeper, or whatever else. They they may say things like that, but I think it's important to recognize that. And you call it the jams in life. Everybody has these things that happen, and that they need help. And like you said, even when you were dealing with high levels of anxiety and worry. The, the face that you put on and the, the things that you said when somebody truly asked how you were. Now, maybe they didn't mean it, but they, they asked, how are you doing today? And you said, fantastic. You said, absolutely great. But that wasn't the truth. And I think that a lot of times, unless you're intentionally... Uh, looking to connect with people, to break down those walls and build those relationships, you're not going to see that side. But then when you do see that side, I think it's it's tempting to say it's not my problem. So um, I'd love to get your thoughts on how that changed for you, how that changed to going from it's a not-my-problem mentality to actively pursuing uh, helping other people. I had
1: a man walk in my office one time after, I, after, after a CBMC prayer breakfast, When I prayed to receive Christ and I checked the box on the card and actually two men came to my office about two hours after that breakfast and told my assistant they wanted to see me and I said well you know I'm awfully busy and she said well it's a doctor from Oklahoma City and a judge from England and I thought Well, that's a good story. And she said, they said they had breakfast with you this morning. I said, yeah, me and 1,500 of their best
2: friends.
1: (laughs) And uh, uh, so she let them in my office, or I asked them to come in. And so the doctor, who is Dr. Uh, Herman Reese, uh, whom I never met before, kind of helped me nail down that decision uh, that I prayed to receive Christ. And then he asked me if I would meet with him. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, Dr. Reese, I'm sorry, but I am really busy and I really don't have time uh, for another meeting. And uh, he said, well, what are you doing at 6.30 a.m. next Wednesday morning? And I said, well, I don't have an excuse for 6.30 (laughs) a.m. in the morning. And he said, well, good, I'll be here in your office. Now, think about that. Here's a physician that I didn't know that is willing to to pour himself out for me, to be in my office. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm sure he had other things to do, like sleep at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> but, but he's willing to come to my office and meet with me. And he did so, and he met that one meeting, and then he asked me if I'd like to do another meeting, and then another one, and another one. And he met with me every Wednesday morning at 6.30 a.m. for the next four years. And then he introduced me to another guy, who met with me every Tuesday morning at 6.30 a.m. for the next 12 years. And they asked me all the tough questions, and they cared about me, and they poured their lives into mine in the context of the Scriptures. Mm -hmm. Now compare compare that to what we do in our churches today. Jesus had a small group, and our pastors will tell us that we have small groups in the church just like Jesus did. But Jesus lived with those guys 24-7, and all you have to do is look, look at his relationship with Peter, James, and John that got written so much about, and you see it. And after he did so for three and a half years, what did Peter do? Peter cut off a guy's ear, <laughs> then he denied even knowing Jesus three times, mm-hmm. and then Jesus reappeared to Peter. On two different occasions after he was risen, and then Peter grabbed six of his disciples and took them fishing, caught a a whole boatload of fish after Jesus told them to throw the net out on the other side, hauled them in. Jesus is fixing breakfast for them, and Peter tells us that, or excuse me, John tells us in John 21 that they caught 153 large fish. Can't you picture our, our our guy Peter down on his knees in front of the risen Lord counting one, two, three. He was so proud of those fish he didn't yeah. know what to do. <laughs> and 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 in context, Jesus when he uh, first met Peter said, Come, follow me, and I, I will show you how to be fishers of men. Okay? Mm -hmm. And then Peter goes back to fishing, and the first thing that Jesus said after the 153 fish is, Peter, do you love me? And three times he asked him if he loved him, and three times he essentially said, then Peter, go disciple people, Peter, like I've been discipling you for the last three and a half years. Mm -hmm. And, And so discipleship, is very much individualized. In the book you alluded to, uh, we had a guy in our church. His name is Richard Edwards. He was a chiropractor. He uh, had had done chiropractic work on my back. I knew him. I still use the exercises that he gave me. He helped me truly with my physical life. Uh, but Richard got in a car accident, and he and 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 his hand hands got burned and he lost the use of his hands. Now a chiropractor loses the use of his hands. He could get, he could get to thinking, you know, I'm pretty worthless. If his, if his mind was wrapped around that job, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: well, Richard was in my church. Richard was in a small group in my church, but nobody ever asked Richard the tough questions like Richard. How do you really feel? Mm -hmm. having lost the use of your hands. How does that make you feel in relation to your job? Do you feel like you're still of as much value as you were before? Nobody asked Richard those kinds of questions to to draw out his his thought life. The scripture tells us uh, a plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, Mm -hmm. but a man of understanding draws it out. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever drew it out of Richard. What did Richard do? Richard committed suicide. Mm -hmm. A Christian in my church, in a small group, committed suicide because we don't ask them the tough questions. Mm -hmm. Discipleship is a group process. It's also a very, very personal process. And I'm glad that I, I I have the great privilege of walking with seven different men that I disciple for an hour and a half each a week, and I have another man that walks with me, Herman Reese, still meets with me once a month, and he asks me the tough questions. And the guys that I walk with, I ask them, and they ask me the tough questions, and we hold each other accountable because we're all we're all just like Peter, mm-hmm. Evan. We're we're a mess. <laughs> I'm a mess.
0: Yeah, I think it helps to kind of verbalize it. I think that these are, what you're saying are some of the things that most guys would, would kind of hold in and, and hide behind that wall. So I, I appreciate your transparency on it. Um, I think that definitely answers my question because I think, you know, as you're in those situations, <clears throat> you can't look at it as I'm potentially going to offend them or uh, I'm going to bother them. You have to look at it from the opposite side of if I don't ask these questions, if I don't build this relationship and if I don't invest in these people, um, I'm going to be held accountable for not asking those questions. And so I think that if we change our perspective a little bit on on the relationships that we have, the, instead of having a bunch of superficial relationships, but truly seek mentorship, seek discipleship. Um, we've talked about a lot of topics today. We talked about a lot of different things. And, and Steve, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, to be that open book for us because and, and even when I talked to you the first time i was uh I was very thankful for for you taking the time and you made a statement to me that uh it was it was almost your duty you felt uh you know and you quoted some scripture the obligation that you have. And, uh, and I want to I want to tell you that I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate the fact that my audience gets to hear from a person like you. And I, I hope that more opportunities like this come up for you to share um, these things, because these are things that I think that we as individuals, especially the younger that we can hear them, the earlier that we can hear them, the more beneficial it'll be. And it'll build that foundation for us later on to be that much more impactful in, in other people's life. Um, I do have one final question for you. If, if I'm putting myself in my audience, audience's shoes, a lot of the things that you put out there, I feel like you've developed them very well and, and, and given very good reasoning for the reason that you do them. And you've asked yourself the tough questions. But I think there's a lot of people out there that are going to say, man, Steve, I love that you're doing that, but I'm not ready. I'm not ready to take that step. That is a lot to do. Um, to give all of my profits away, to invest in my employees that much, to bring chaplains on, to whatever it may be. There was a lot of things that you mentioned. Uh, What would you say to that person that's that's considering to themselves that they're not ready, that they love the idea, but they're not willing to take the steps, or they don't feel that they're ready to take the steps? What's something that you could say to encourage them or challenge them?
1: It is imperative that we be deep in the Word of God if we really want to be followers of Jesus, you know, it's one thing to say that I prayed to receive Christ. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to follow him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if we're truly going to follow him, we got to get up in the morning. We got to pray to him and we've got to read his word. And I kind of think of, of it is I talk to him and then he talks to me through the words of the Bible.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, We've got to put on the full armor of God before we walk out the door in the morning. And everything that I told you, Evan, and your audience is a process.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: it's not something, it's not a prescription to go do everything I just said to do. Mm-hmm. It's a process that God will reveal to your heart as you invest your time with him. And, uh, uh, and I want to allude to that. To that, in in closing, I want to re- allude to that discipleship piece. Mm-hmm. You know, what we know from Barna's research is that fifty percent of all marriages break up outside and inside the church.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We know that the, we know that drug use percentage wise, on the outside of the church and on the inside of the church is the same.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: uh, we know that the use of pornography. We know that seventy percent of all men outside the church view pornography regularly, mm-hmm. and seventy percent of all men inside the church view pornography regularly. Wow. I had I had a good friend I I'd come to me a few years ago wanted to take me to lunch. And he said, and he, he goes to my church and he said, Steve, you are my very best friend. And he said, I want you to know something, being my very best friend. I've made a decision to divorce my wife, and I said, "Really, I'm your very best friend, and I'm just hearing this for the first time. I had no inkling, I had no understanding. I, you you haven't ever shared with me that there was any kind of problem whatsoever. You're just telling me that you're going to get a divorce,
2: mm-hmm.
1: really? And my point, and my point is, we got to get. If if we have a best friend, we better get close to him and help him with his thought life." You know, knowing that uh, uh, I've got a big log in my eye. He's only got a speck in his, but we got to get close and we got to help each other. Mm-hmm. I mean really help each other. And to your point, as we do and as we get in to, seriously into God's word and start truly following Jesus, he'll tell us what to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: you know we'll, we'll we'll do whatever's necessary with our employees, etc., one step at a time. I had a, a, one more thought. I had a guy come to me a few years ago, and he said, I want you to tell me about all those ministry things you do in your company. He said, I want to go home and do them. I, I, and and I said, well, before I tell you, I want to ask you a question. What's your quiet time look like? And he says, well, I used to kind of have a quiet time, and I know I need to get back to that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said, well, until you start really, following Jesus I can't write you a prescription for what to do in your business because it won't work it's got to come out of your heart
0: wow steve thank you for taking the time to share your story with our audience to kind of give a little bit of an insight into into you as a person and also uh, the struggles that you have but also uh, i think the things that we can celebrate with you as well um, if you don't mind what are Uh, I want to give you the last word. I want to give you kind of a final thing to say to the audience and then we'll close this up. Um, You know, the audience, you know who we're trying to reach, you know, who we're trying to talk to. Um, What would be your kind of last word to them to challenge them, to encourage them? What would it be uh, to kind of end this out?
1: Well, as I said uh, uh, a minute ago, get up every morning and put on the full armor of God before you walk out that door. Uh, He told us, uh, in Ephesians six, uh, uh, the kind of things that we're going to face in a day, and uh, we, you know, we're, put, we're we're facing demonic spiritual influences in, in the marketplace, and we've got to be prepared to 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 deal with that. We got to pre- be prepared to deal with our own thought life. We got to be prepared to deal with. Truly helping other people and pouring ourselves out for other people. and as, and unless we learn to uh, uh, really let Jesus shine His light through us, then we can't do it. It's not that we won't. it's that we can't. Mm-hmm. And so I just encourage I just encourage your listeners to get deep in the Word of God and help somebody else do the same.
0: Fantastic, Steve. Thank you, and listeners, we'll catch you on the next podcast. Young Businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.